episode 104 of the Women's Six podcast, official podcast of BehindTheBookPass.com. I'm your host, site expert, Adam McGee. And joining me as usual this week for our Roy Hibbert farewell episode is the one and only Jordan Tresky. Hello, Jordan. Hello. No one for you to step on this week. It's just, it's all you. You'll be able to come in whenever you want. Shout out your hellos and your thank yous. Sorry, things you really shout out. And through my mutterings, all the whole gambit. Yeah. So that's I'm sure everyone's instantly thrilled at that prospect. And uh, the Jordan <laughs> Trusty fan club will be will be celebrating. We've a lot to get through. We didn't we didn't quite get back for the extra podcast that we thought we might have with the trade deadline and everything. Partly that was because Roy Hibbert being traded for a top 55 protected 2019 second round pick didn't quite constitute an emergency podcast. Um, yeah. Didn't have, the, didn't have the, the, the pizang, the, the panache, the, the instant the analysis. Pizang. I, I, I just cobbled to, yeah. I think I meant to say pizzazz. I was looking for pizzazz and I said pizzang. Or Pazang. Okay. Yeah. Solid start. None of those things, anyway, managed to bring us out of hiding for an emergency podcast midweek. So a lot has happened in the time since. Um, we're coming to you straight after the books. Uh, I suppose we could say they beat the Suns to feel exactly like that, but I guess that's what the record will show. And uh, Sunday matinee game at the Bradley Center. But really where we're going to go with this week's podcast is the future. You know, that thing the books are so determined to know, so determined for us all to know that they want to own. Um, I, I feel I may get to a rant on this later, but... Oh, oh you will. I, I feel like you will. <laughs> Don't say may <laughs> Everything that's happened in the last seven days or so, and I guess going back before that, but everything in the last seven days or so particularly, even some of the smaller moves, they've all kind of said about this this feeling where we're coming to a point where the future needs to be reassessed, or at least the point on the journey to that future the books are at. Um, I wrote a piece about this earlier in the week, and... I guess we'll we'll start off and jump into this from. I think this summer is the most important summer in this whole kind of books team building experience. 
because this is one of these cases now Yanis has been paid uh, Middleton's already winding down towards his contract there is a possibility they come to an extension with Jabari this year albeit slim because of the injury and then your other free agents are all coming up now so you have decisions to make guys to sign guys to re-sign and cap space is basically going to be gone after this summer do you feel that's a fair reading on it that we're coming up to a point which not that we haven't been around this road before of this is a really important summer but this one might be one that they can't kind of back out of all of their decisions quite as easily on like they like they might have done compared to last summer yeah you can't keep ripping off the band-aid or uh starting not square one but kind of like it's 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 almost like going like through a game where you kind of like save uh, this is something i did because i was not a, i'm not a very i'm an okay gamer when it came it comes to like big games like I, I no, I, this is a terrible analogy. I'll just no, move let's on. go with it. You started. Let's okay. Finish. Well, you know, like I say, like like I don't think you can do this really much anymore with like the more you know PS4 or Xbox One games, but you you were able to save different memory slots for like PS2 yeah. or PS3. I remember. So I'd say one game to make it be like you know this is my checkpoint. Like I don't want to start over again, or like permanently ruins some game of mine like I, I can't think of a name maybe let's go like grand theft auto or something i don't know no and then, I, I was gonna go because we're talking about memory cards here involved in this process i was gonna go way like this feels, crash very, bandicoot. Crash feels bandicoot. very crash bandicoot or tomb yeah. raider or i don't know spyro games that were like yeah. really really old you know classic ps1 games remember the multi-tap remember the multi-tap i do that was only like 10 years ago <laughs> Now you can just grab your controller or just uh, hook it up. Anyway, that's where it is where you like you're trying to move on to a different level and you keep like dying, but you keep going back to like the main point where you saved. That's what the Bucks like this all these moves have been where they trade away Miles Plumley to you know kind of restart their center position. John Henson, who knows where that goes, but that hasn't I I, I don't know. It's, we all we all know where that goes. It goes nowhere. But at this point, we all know. <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, anyway, um, what was the question? What the it's about important summer? Not the about summer. Like, is is this the most important one? And do you do you kind of agree with what I'm saying? Okay, the books have found ways to wriggle out of some decisions in the last few years. But I mean, if they do go and say resign Monroe or resign Snell or sign guys longer term in those kind of positions they've approached the spot where they are locked in. They are in on something. Because they have, if they want to retool that, they're looking at trades rather than thinking of cap space. Cap space is going to be a thing of the past after this year. Yeah. Um, it's certainly, I know we were talking about this last year, uh, throughout the summer. And that's where, like, Stuff like the the positives that we saw at the time, like the Telly deal, the Delhi deal, the um, uh, uh, why am I forget? Oh, the the you know their draft overall, obviously with Brogdon and Thon. Uh, Pumley's contract did not fall in line with that, but we thought, hey, this guy is a, a player that fits with them. Sure, comes with an incredible price tag, but uh, now that's a thing of the past. He's on the field anymore, so let's cross him off the list. He's on the bridge. Um, 
But no, and obviously, like, this has suddenly become, like, a really important summer, obviously because of a lot of their decision-making weighs on how they view Jabari long-term. That doesn't – I'm not, in, like, implying that, you know, they're not going to sign them or all this stuff that we were talking about at the time of the injury. But they're going to have to think about that with, you know, with that in mind. They're going to have to have some sort of insurance, maybe at least, you know, kind of a – stopgap in the time for you know for the season itself all this stuff and then obviously like you said you have monroe's free agency coming up you have snell's free agency coming up uh you have beasley's free agency coming up which as that's that's even like they have it's weird... a very real thing very all three guys very hard decisions to make because it's like are you really going to trust any of those three guys based on this current season Put up against their career overall, but they're real decisions the books have to make on all three of them. Yeah, and the Beasley one, like the Stell, the Stell one is pretty absolute to me. I think he is. It's. I, I mean, I'm locking in for him coming back. I don't know what price we can guess. You know, as when that comes, Monroe's is kind of like an iffy one because that there's so many different factors with that. But Beasley is such a weird one to me. Free agency was, but uh, again, we could talk about that later. But anyway, in the overall scope of everything, where you know you have Giannis clearly hitting and you know another level with his play this year, he's an All Star, all this stuff, and you have him locked in. I mean, he, you know, his contract will be on the clock starting next season. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of the things have to kind of shift into not this kind of development year restocking or anything like that there is a legitimate you know time is ticking and sure there's going to be a lot more time but uh you know they're on the clock and how you want to you know move from where they are now and try to get to what they say is a championship caliber team as i object to that personally but uh it's things happen things are going to be much more real there are stakes, much higher stakes than, you know, we, we have had the last many years. Like, I, I can't – There's I, no, I mean, it's there's no be, time. Like, I don't know. You're going back to 2000, 2001 to find a time where you were going to have to have the elevation of stakes. There may have been teams yeah. that good, but you were never kind of having this jump of, right, well, we're going from being at this place to now we have to think like this. And the way that came about, that's probably not even fair. You're probably talking about the 0102 season where they tried to make the other moves and it all went yes. wrong. Was the last time where they went, okay, now we're at this level, but we have to get to here. The way the way I I in writing a piece on this during the week, I was trying to I put a bit of thought into how exactly do you how exactly do you describe where they are now and what they're going to because I think it's too easy and we've done it, we've been guilty of it and everyone is and kind of mapping out this journey where you've got where they're at now and they're kind of building and then you have the idea of them approaching contention. Realistically, it could be really, really good and never fully get to contention. So the way I, I kind of decide to term this is rather than saying for next year they need to be win now, they are not going to be win now, but they're going to be living in the now. And that will come around, let's say, 12 months from now when we're at the trade deadline next year. 
most of their moves are probably going to have to be moves that can help them in the now and the run-up to the playoffs, hopefully, into the next season. And rather than kind of, they can't really be in a spot at that time where they're trying to dump a contract so that they have flexibility for that summer and for down the road beyond that. We'll have moved beyond that point. There's a few different things I want to get into on this, but before I even list through what they are, Let's go through the motivation. So we've already touched on some and the guys who are going to hit free agency. So you've got decisions to make and really, I guess, how you're filling out the rest of your roster. Um, you will have the Jabari decision, whether you, they decide to put that off for another 12 months, which they can, or if they look to see, maybe they can come to a deal with them now that's a little bit cheaper and they feel confident in his return. Beyond that, though, there's important organizational things. This, we're going to be one season away. Next season's the last season at the Bradley Centre. The pledge all along for the owners, uh, Jamie Dynan in particular was very vocal. Um, anytime he makes a rare public appearance and speaks, we're going to be a playoff team heading into the new building is generally what he says. So that's next season. So that's the goal they've set. They want to have a team that's good enough to motivate the fan base like that going into the new arena, that's what they're doing, that's next year. You also have the D-League team starting up. And we kind of briefly touched on this last week, we'll go into a little bit more detail. This is, this is really the biggest reason the books could have to do a really thorough overview of the entire processes, ideas, everything throughout the organization. They'll have to completely reassess their strategy, say what works, what doesn't work, what do we want to bring through from the D-League, what are we going to do on the main team, the NBA? And that's going to have to go through the entire organization from top to bottom. What are you implying? I'm not implying anything. I'll get, oh, to, I'll get to a pretty outright when we get to that. <laughs> um, so the three things that that really leaves to be considered is what you're doing with your players, what your shape of your roster should be, what the strategy for how your team is going to play is going to be. So what kind of guys are you looking to fit in? What, what are we actually doing on the basketball court? So that's one part, the players. Two is Jason Kidd. Very simply, they're going to have to look at three years of Jason Kidd as head coach, look at what he's done, um, look at what his team currently looks like it might do, and then decide, okay, is he the guy who is going to bring us into contention? Could he ever possibly win a championship? Is he even the guy who's going to be capable of can getting he adapt? to the like A simple question is, can he adapt? I, yeah, in certain ways, yes. Then in other ways, I don't know if he ever has kind of nailed down too many principles long enough to have to adapt from them. Mm -hmm. I'd also like if you, if it would be good to know if he could adapt, but also if he could commit to something. Um, because I know people say things like, oh, he commits to giving up open trees. That's uh, not really, oh. that's not really <laughs> the thing. Let's, let's be real here. There are certain things and I guess details in the rotation that he just constantly flip flops on. And you're just not going to get anywhere with that. Um, 
and then I guess the third part does come from bigger picture, everything. What are the books going to be? What do you want the books to be? It's got beyond the point where you can use, as you mentioned, this description that we keep getting thrown at us for years of, we're going to be a championship caliber organization, a championship caliber team. They've got to define that more. They don't have to do it externally, but they need to know yeah. internally. Is it regular season or is it summerly? We have to know. Internally, they at least have to know who they're modeling themselves after. And that might sound oversimplifying it or a little bit trite, but you know, there are teams who they decide they're modeling themselves after the Spurs. They're never going to get to be the Spurs, but that's the organizational structure we're going to go with. That's our template. We're going to follow it. There are teams who will say we're going to model ourselves after the Warriors or the Thunder are a team who have often come up in Milwaukee's case. Whoever the team that they're going to kind of design themselves after or take elements from and define that as their culture, as their style, that needs to be decided upon. That needs to feed from the top all the way down. And down matters now because the D-League team, they can really, they can build something where they can use that to be something that gives them kind of 14, 15 guys in the roster who turn out to be really productive, who they wouldn't have had otherwise, somewhere where they can send guys who are struggling to go and get minutes and kind of snap out of a funk, guys who are coming back from injury. Even just, I guess, say any younger guys who maybe rookies or even guys you've signed, and if you are playing a different system, your defense is particularly different to other places around the league, you know, at the start of the season, there's a place you can send them to help them learn. All of that needs to be figured out, and they need to come out with some answers. And so this book's team, while the core kind of players on the court will be the same heading into next summer, the organization could and probably should change significantly this summer, even if we don't instantly notice it. Which, which spot do you want us to start on? Will we start with players? coach or organization um let's go players first let's do that the easy one how unsurprising <laughs> start off smooth okay so starting out players we're looking at tony snell greg monroe michael beasley jason terry they're the only free agent. Spencer Hawes, if he opts out, which he's going to be resigned, but free agent all the same. I'm right in thinking that's everyone, aren't I? Uh, yeah. 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 That sounds right. Um, Rashad Vaughn is probably someone who should just be thrown in there as they have a decision to make on. Axel Dupont, too. You never know. Well, who knows? Maybe they'll have made a decision on him before that point. We don't actually know that. Yeah. But um, that's the kind of spot they're at. So this isn't like half the roster is about to be turned over, but there's going to be five or six guys. And, I mean, three of those guys, very important this year in Moose, Snell, and Beasley. Even Jason Terry. I'd right, say four, man. Lock in four. Jason Terry is a part of that. I know that sounds... You laughed only a few weeks ago when I said that Jason Terry could be re-signed. He wants to play for two more years. Yeah, that's true. He's got smoker's lungs or whatever <laughs> his quote was. He doesn't have. That, that, his whole point was he doesn't have smoker's lungs. Well, when he plays for long periods of time. 
No, that was his whole point. He doesn't smoke. That was his whole point. But when he... Oh, no. I just don't want to get us in trouble with Jason Terry. I know, I yeah. Yeah, I take it back. But you're happy with Jason Terry is... He's he's offering something to the rotation that they'll need to figure out one way or another right now. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. So with those four guys, is it... This is the part that's tricky, right? So all four of those have been important. They're all giving the book something this year. But even if it does turn out to be possible, should the books be looking to re-sign those four guys? I mean, this uh, is because we're now getting to a point. If you're if you're going to lock up cap space for a few years, it's are you getting enough? Is what you're going to have good enough out of paying those guys? Or I guess the flip side of that is there nothing better than that likely out there that you're gonna get? Um, I I mean I kind of discount Terry Jason Terry for this question because he is he's he's Batman, so exactly like it's kind of he's excluded. It's basically Beasley, Snell, Monroe. Uh, like I said about Snell, my thoughts are very very clear. Um. Beasley and Monroe is a different different beast. Like I feel like if you're trying to figure out like the true solution to you know the positions that those two play and thinking long term and then weighing in every other factor, like I don't know. Like as good as Monroe has been this year, um, you know, are you gonna want to pay? A similar deal. I mean, he's kind of he's he's you know earned his worth as getting a similar deal as he's on right now. Maybe not the length of it, but that type of player where it's you know you know minimum fifteen million dollars, not minimum, but around that ballpark of fifteen million dollar center. Who I, I think he'll want years. I don't, he won't want two plus one this time. This that was the reason for the two plus one was to get years this time. So he might take fifteen. Per, but he's gonna have four years. Yeah, and it's his last like you big know, contract, probably. Yeah, last crack at a big contract for particularly uh, his playing style. Yeah, um, I don't know. I really don't know. I I think you know before they slid, I would have said you know do it, do it. You, I mean, you had no other choice but not to. He proved it, but so many different things have happened in the last month that. As much as I've turned around on Monroe, and you know he's obviously a high impact player, can you really pay a guy fifteen million dollars? This is not a question that's exclusive to the Bucks, but it's a lot of teams that are that the well they also had to face this question with Miles Plum, Miles Plumley. Um, there's a deer outside. Uh, it's a sign. <laughs> it's a sign. Anyway. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. Do you really want to commit to a guy like that who probably, if you're on a really good team, he plays 24 minutes a game? I mean, that's those will be good 24 minutes, but I don't. I really don't know. Uh, Beasley is, again, you have to, that's more exclusive to price. the Jabari decision. I, I think it's price because 
I, I think there's still a real chance that no one trusts Michael Beasley. Oh, yeah. And the books just may be able to actually have him at like some sort of really stupid price and give him years if they want to. I would still be I'd still be more inclined to pay him more and less years. <laughs> That's personally I just like there's this idea maybe you can get him on a what's a cheap contract, but you're you have him for four years. Four years would be a long time, three years would be a long time where Beasley could return to return to his old ways. Where I think if you can keep him that you know, you get him, it's a solid deal, whatever, but it's like he's on a two-year deal or something so that he's in a good place. He's with a team that he feels wants him. Or a one-on-one one type thing. Yeah, I think one-on-one one is really no market. If, if there's no market, you can get one-on-one, one, no problem. You could probably get one-on-one one as... Are you talking about one-on-one with team option or player option? Either one, I'm just saying... You like... could probably get a team option if there's no market for him. Yeah. Um, we're also, maybe we're... He's a different guy to a lot of these because of his situations he's been through and where he's had to go, including China. If he really does just feel this is working out for him in terms of fit, he likes playing for the team, he likes the city, he feels it works for him as a basketball player, he might just be like, okay, I'll stay, I'm staying here. You know, let's talk a deal. Let's. I'm not going to be too greedy. I'm happy to be here. And if you give me a good, fair contract, we'll sign. For you, though, what is... Like we can put okay, fifteen to eighteen million is probably what Monroe was thinking. Too. It has to be because if he's a free if agent, you look at the he's free agent market too. He is clear, like head and shoulders above. Especially with Noel going to Dallas, there, yeah. that's a that's a big name that's probably going to be locked up right away. Um, Monroe might be, honestly be the best signer by far. But who's available. who's actually going to look to sign a center? The books are the team exactly. probably most likely the one to center. Yeah. Well, what's it? What's your price for Beasley? What do you think is reasonable right now? I know it's the most difficult one I know, but like part of me feels it's perfectly feasible that he could still be like a six, feasible, a six million per year guy. Oh my god! Oh. I'm going I, low. I I'm going low. That's still the. I know that's low. That's even scary. It's a. I think a lot of it comes down to. I know a lot of people. You said this. I saw um, Adam Paris of Brew Hoop talk about this specifically when it came to like trade deadline deals and all the hubbub that came up this week about you know whatever player fill in player X, um, but it is like the players that they have, and I'm including Beasley in this for sure. In this, uh, players that the Bucks have, like the you know the Delis, the Toledoviches, the Snells, the Beasleys. Like those players serve a higher value to the Bucks, considering where they were last year and building back up their bench and all like their depth. And obviously with Beasley, everything comes a lot of it just comes out of the you know what the uh, Jabari timeline is now. And I, I don't know. I, I I don't know. Do you feel I, that I think, matters? Do you feel his situation is that tied? Because I. I, I do feel like if Snell comes back, the, the lineup we saw today, the uh, Middleton and Snell playing together with Giannis, I, I, I think that is the best option for the books over the longer term without Jabari if Snell was to come back. And I, I think with Beasy, the big thing is 
particularly if Monroe was to go, they realized, look, we don't have a lot on the bench at all. Uh, and even if we have good role players on the bench, which I think most of those guys at least have the capability of being, there's not really a player who's going to step forward and lead them quite like Beasley does. Like Beasley will just take over a game when he's in right as away. a second unit guy. Like he did, like he's done in every game for like two weeks now nearly. Definitely since Jabari's injury, yeah. nearly every game Beasley has come in and he's just taken over for some sort of spell. That is just to the books. That is so important. I think there are other teams. The thing with Beasley, I think you will have, I think you'll have good teams this year who'll want him on really cheap deals. And he's not the guy who he should be or needs to do that. But he's also, he's also had that. He's, he did that with like the Heat when, you know, during LeBron. Yeah, right. LeBron era. So he's already, you know, faced that prospect that didn't you know for whatever reason that didn't work, really work out for him now he's in a much better uh you know much more comfortable uh you know situation and he's getting the playing time that he wasn't getting uh you know before he went to china um i mean that's that's a lot of things that could pull him to say for uh, you know, however much it is, he could just say, "You know, I really like it here. I know they have a role for me. I, I just want to stay." And turning that price, I, I don't know. It's I th- regardless of how it ends up, there are going to be a lot of people that really like it. Yeah. Based on how we you know saw them this year, and there are going to be a lot of people that really hate it. I, that's it's, just that's just Beasley. Like that really is just. There's people who still even when he does good things, aren't going to get it. But, like, there, there has. It, it's not unfair to say, like, there are moments this year where you see why he was the prospect that he once was. It's like, there are times where you see him do stuff, he completely takes over. Like, some of the... I know we make fun of it because it's not really what the NBA is now. But, like, his mid-range twos, and when he gets in rhythm, it's just so effortless. It's so, so easy for him. Or even the way he's like, uh, this game was fresh in all of our minds, but against the Suns, the way he was getting to the rim and hitting the paint, getting middle, he like. He space really well in there, too. Yeah, I feel like it's, it's, it's rare. Uncanny. He has good separation when, whenever he gets to the rim. And that's even, there was a couple of plays in that Suns game where it looked like he was going for a dunk and he kind of uses his body to create the space. So he can kind of just really nonchalantly just kind of finger roll it in. And he just, he has a really effortless way about him. I guess that's his personality in a lot of other ways too. But you can but see the flashes. Right. I, I just wonder with all of this, do you think they will be given pause for thought based on Plumley? Based on this idea of thinking someone fits in a specific role, contract year, paying up and then it going so wrong particularly if it's not like a core piece will they be a little bit more wary because of that and that's fair for them to be more wary but the thing is Plumlee could it's not like exclusive that Plumlee is a mistake so therefore these other guys would be a mistake and they could miss the right guys by taking that kind of approach yeah I mean a lot of it I think you know uh I, I, it's not an exclusive to the Bucks, especially after the way the cap exploded this year and the type of free agent class 
that all the money had to be spent on. I mean, there are a lot of teams that are facing that problem that weren't lucky enough to get ship off salary the way the Bucks did. Um, so maybe that is in the back of their minds this summer. I mean, it most certainly is. And probably, like you said, probably is not the only one. I mean, John Henson has kind of become that, that, you know, or I guess reclaimed the new $11 million man type role or, you know, label again, uh, especially, you know, with his DMPs and all that stuff. But hey, that's, um, that's not fair because for next year, you know, his contract's going to be going down. He's got, I know it's not, it's not <laughs> fair, but I, it is one of those things where I, I, uh, it's like, I don't know. It, it, you know, we could do a lot with, we'll talk about Hanson. We'll talk you know? about Hanson. You've got your Hanson take. We'll talk. I know we'll, we'll do this one too before we move on from players. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm sure that's going to play into it, but I mean, kind of have to live with it. You know, that's, that is essentially that is what they did in the statement to when they traded probably it's like we're gonna have a new <laughs> open up cap space that's what that's what this is all about and it's like oh yeah okay yeah you realize the error of your ways cap space joined um cash considerations and and heavily protected pick yeah in the at the end of the book step chart <laughs> i can the rosters of... are expanding they could easily put them on there <laughs> they really could is that from next year it yeah, is it starts next year. year, yeah. That's interesting. It'll be interesting how they use that. Um Tupan. Wow, that was sign him. <laughs> <laughs> there is something very unnerving about when Jordan leans in and whispers into the microphone. One because it's louder than when he speaks because he leans in. I don't think he gets the whole distance, you know. Uh but what? <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. We had a we had a podcast on this probably a year ago, maybe a little bit less, but before the end of last season, leading up to free agency, um, I know Ty was with us at the time. Where the three of us, we we talked about the books. Basically, you have just had all of this come at the wrong time. Where for all the abundance of talent they have, and um, the way the cap spiked put them in the worst possible spot for when their cap space was open up for free agency for when they have to extend Yanis Jabari and then even more so for when Middleton next comes up as a free agent in 2019 I think um and it's kind of it's kind of showing in a big way and I don't know before we'll get back to Snell in a minute but I just want to touch on the quiet trade deadline week where not a lot really came out in terms of even what the books were looking to do. And um, even the, the Rubio stuff was really, there was never that one line that intimated they were looking to do it now as much as they had interest. So they must still have interest because he's available and they still have point guard problems kind of thing. I don't know if you agree with that, but it didn't feel like there was, that one moment that made you feel they're looking right now to get Ricky Rubio as much as they might still like him. So they might be a logical destination. Yeah, totally agree. It, like we, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week. I can't remember, but uh, like past point guards that they have, you know, been linked with Jeff Teague was one last, last year too. Um, you know, 
when you think about the players that they have, well, I guess Delhi is an exception. I, I was going to, yeah, never mind. Well, add Darren Collison to the list for this summer because we, we know how that goes. Rumor comes out as the trade deadline. Impending free agent. Everyone's happy in July. <laughs> and aside from Collison, Rubio, the, the thing that felt concrete to me was this, was Brian Windhorst who kept saying it was the books were looking to get off money. And that included... Damian Lillard, you forgot about Damian Lillard too. Jordan, shut up. Um, <laughs> the books were looking... That, that's Duncan Smith's fault. That's, I've already had to say with Duncan. For people, we might as well do this because we have people asking us these questions during the week. <laughs> and every time we get asked, I'd get angrier and angrier and try not to take it out on people because they were just asking what they'd seen around. Um, but that the origin of that um, before reporter who will not be named decided to try and make it a thing. B-ball breakdown, a site I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with. They did a mock trade deadline. About with two J. weeks Ryan ago Holm. now, maybe? Okay. About two weeks ago now, basically. And Duncan Smith, who is a friend of ours, he is site expert, a fan site. It's Piston Power, Detroit Pistons site. Um, he's over 16 wins a ring. Duncan was the books GM for that mock trade deadline. And what he decided to do as books GM was take a torch to everything. <laughs> Just burn it all. Uh, I've already, at the time, I had it out with Duncan about this. But one of the things he did in this was trade everyone. Uh, Middleton, Jabari, Tan for Damian Lillard. This is the only Damian Lillard book thing I've seen in the year. It was a mock trade deadline. It wasn't a rumor. There was nothing to it. So just so that one doesn't come up again this summer uh, on draft night, people ask, are we going to trade for Damian <laughs> what Lillard? What are we going to get Lillard? Um, <laughs> Why did no. it make him sound like a that – was, that was a weird voice to appropriate. It was a strange one. I wasn't going to yeah. highlight that for everyone, but you did it yourself, so that works. Outside of that, though, was the books getting off of money, right? We had Henson mentioned. The other two, notably again, though, were Dovidova Tledovic, which, in keeping with this trading Plumley, which we're not going to say was a bad move, it just concerns me. Even if I don't, I don't personally think dealing both of those guys would be the right move, but let's hypothetically say it was. Even if there's a chance that's the right move. Is there something to that that just makes the whole approach seem so amateur and scattergun? This used to be a thing where we had this perception discussion all the time um, of how the books were perceived. And it was around when things with Monroe went bad. Everyone's thing used to be, oh, if they trade, you know, if they trade a guy just after signing him, no one's ever going to want to come here again. Well, I mean, if in the space of a year, say if they trade Delhi and Telly in the summer, for space a year, they go from signing Plumley, Delhi, Telly to big contracts and move them all. I don't know what that does. There's something about that which just seems strange to me. Uh, one, I don't think either contract is that bad. Delhi is public enemy number one right now, taking over from Teletovic in the previous month or so. So people will be up in arms at the idea that it's not a terrible contract, but it's not. It really isn't. He's kind of 
if he came back anywhere towards what has been the mean for his career, he's on a fine contract. It's not, not a great contract. It's not a terrible one either. It's a deal that if you had to trade it sometime down the line, it's not going to cripple anyone, which is really what all of this has to be measured in. That's the same thing we've always said applies for Henson. It's not a great contract for the books. They could definitely do without that money being tied to a guy who right now is racking up DMPs. At the same time, it doesn't kill them or it wouldn't kill anyone else. If you find the right team with an opening where they could give a minutes or they believe in them still, whatever it is, you know, it's not like, well, that contract's just so bad we can't trade from. Does that idea, though, of all of that, maybe take Henson, separate him because that's a different story. He's been here forever. But with the other two guys, does that concern you a little bit that they're just saying, okay, what we did last summer, everything about that was wrong. Let's tear that part down and it's time for something different. Like that makes me think, what are we going to see this summer then? Because last summer was all about very precise fit. It was about getting role players on solid value deals. And the consensus was they did that at the time from, I guess, most writers, experts around the NBA, like the Kladovic contract was viewed very, very favorably. And there would, there would be teams who would still love to get Telly for the shots he throws up on that deal. Does the idea that they may have been prepared to just completely discard all of that and start something different, does that raise your eyebrows a little bit? Is it concerning? Well, I think, uh, I mean, the context of it does come with a little bit of salt because trade deadline, anything goes. There's so many rumors that are flying around, and a lot of it could be just noise. Um but like you said, this is a unusually quiet trade deadline. Like there wasn't a specific player or any, you know, real interest besides sane interest. You know what I mean? Like there wasn't any concrete or offers or anything like that. It was just like uh, to quote John Hammond, it was due diligence basically. Um, but it is like what makes them stop from doing that this summer? What if they sign Monroe and Beasley and realize, oh, things go south with Monroe again? Beasley is, you know, lives up to the concerns everybody had before um, coming to, uh, you know, Milwaukee. Um, I don't know. Like, that's the thing. It's just like committing to it. I mean, if you really think about the new ownership, this timeline that they've, you know, come since coming to Milwaukee, they've had the summer where they kind of, you know, built up from the, you know, 15, 67 season. Then they tore down, you know, they went big and they had to get rid of all their pieces. They and they tried to re. Sorry, what? They went big, then they had to go home. They Yeah, they, they went big, they had to go home. Are they going to find a little home, a little cottage on the, on the lake, you know, where the you know, good dock, you know, jump in and swim in and dip your toe in, but big toe, not pinky toe. I regret toe, introducing toe. that analogy now. Thank you. Um, I don't know. The issue I have with all of this, though, and I think it's something that doesn't get taught through a lot by fans when you come up with the idea of, oh, Delavadova's terrible, let's trade him. Let's trade him. You know, Let's just move Delhi. Let's move Telly. Let's move John Henson. It's like, with all of this and then aside from any sort of fan perspective, for the books themselves, what are you actually trying to get off money or clear cap space for? Because for me, this is like 
this is just the most important part is just this assumption of oh he's not good that contract you know let's get out of that so okay uh right well now you're back in free agency and what you're looking for a point guard who's kind of solid defensively scrappy off ball uh maybe maybe a good shooter and uh, what do you look for a stretch forward who'll be able to space the floor with a high volume of shots you're just gonna what you, you move on from delvadova Teletovic for in search of another version of them and hoping you get them at the same or a cheaper price because that's not easy to do like i, I feel Teletovic was the hit free agency this summer he'd probably get paid more again it's just kind of it's sort of the way the NBA works, and particularly those types, those player types, not specifically those two players, but those player types that the books really want. I mean, if you want like a dead eye shooter, which Delhi has nowhere come close to yet, but here's the idea a dead eye shooter who's really good defensively, solid playmaker, but will play mostly off ball to point guard spot, and you want an absolute gunner of, of a forward who's going to make. One and two, two and five of everything he looks at. They're some of the most valuable types of players in the NBA right now. Like, I don't know what teams don't want those kind of players. So the idea of getting off their contracts is great. And then it's like, oh, well, we we can't just have the cap space and say, look at our cap space. You actually have to fill your roster with guys who are going to make you better. And I I don't doubt Delhi in particular. Delhi Delhi is really bad right now. I can't. I'm a defender, Delhi. He is bad. Mm. I don't think it's impossible that that turns back. But I would be very curious to see if they did trade Delhi, what they're doing at the point guard spot, and for what kind of money. Do you think? Do you think that's something that doesn't always get considered in terms of it's one thing to kind of say sell, sell, sell. Yeah. But then it comes back to well, they have to buy something. It's like. You can't just say, oh, that's the problem. Get rid of it. You actually have to fix the problem. I think this is this is a big issue in general in terms of kind of quick-fire reactionary analysis within a season of, oh, Delhi's terrible. He's not the answer. Get rid of him. Okay. And if what I, is the answer and how do we get it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, not to tease, but this may be something I write about. That may come out this week. Mm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I agree. It's one of those things where, I mean, yeah, yeah you hit it on the head. It's, it's, you know, selling off is one half of it. Maybe even a third of it. The, the other two thirds are finding that player, targeting that player, and hoping that he has interest in coming to your team and, and stay long term and have the, you know, the success that, you know, you think he could have on the team like that. Like, again, Players like Delhi or the archetypes that both Delhi and Mirza are, are teams, everybody is trying to find a team or players like that. I think the best way of putting it is um, if we're like, oh, Delhi's not working, but if, say, if someone's sorry, we still like that style. So, what is that style? So, if we're talking about, you know what, go get, uh, go get George Hill or Patrick Beverly. 70% of the teams in the NBA would love George Hill or Patrick Beverly. They'll get Patrick Patterson and a Channing Fry or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? Like that was those guys, one, you'll either get priced out of the market by teams who have more cap to spend and aren't really 
in a position the books are where they're already playing guys. So say, for example, the likes of your Nets, your Sixers, are on the other end of the scale. They're the guys the contenders really want. And if a player is motivated to go and contend for a championship, he's going to take less money to go there. And as the books sit perfectly in the middle of all of that, without the money to spend, without the contention to offer, what do you expect them to get? It's like, where can they find that? It really does come down to, well, if you want a different kind of point guard, you want a point guard who's going to change the franchise, they're going to have to find him in the draft. Yeah. yeah. Like it's it's that simple. And we're calling for that for years, and they haven't they haven't tried. I don't... I'm curious when Brogdon was drafted. I, I wonder how much of that was. We feel he can really kind of fit with our point guard idea. I don't know if that was talked immediately. I know by the time Summer League came around, they'd worked with him. It was definitely something put out there. But he was talked more generally as a guard before that. I think he was probably the two guard was what they thought he was going to be. And he's shown more skill than maybe Combo. anticipated as an NBA style point guard. Yeah. And a lot of it was, I mean, I think we, how quickly we forget is just building it up. I mean, think about the players that the point guard that they had last year, two of them are borderline NBA players. Let's be real. And, Jared Bayless was by far the you know the most successful point guard that they had last year, and even then, that's a is he better worse than Brogdon or does he? I mean, it's Jared Bayless. Like as good as he was last year, it was just because nothing else worked, and that was the reason why he you know was you know a good fit for them. You're finding something when you had everything else was really nothing. Um, I mean, yeah, Jared Bayless basically was standing out in a room full of ugly people. Well, I wouldn't. That's <laughs> that's, that's it. Yeah. It, it, it's a, I'm using it as a basketball analogy. It's not actually about anyone's looks, but <laughs> that's if you're going to put Jared Bayless, the basketball player, up against MCW and Tyler Ennis. Yeah, we're not. I mean, as as much as it pains me to say. Tyler Ennis is out of the league this summer, Jordan. So MCW might be too. That's yeah, it. very true. Very true. Maybe they could both come back and play backwards on corner three attempts. Yeah, that was that was how the Bulls started their post deadline era. But wait, I you I, I have to do something here. I don't know. I really I'm have to do something here. It's a little aside. Just a teensy weensy little aside. I don't understand the anger Bulls fans have towards Tony Snell. I really don't. I've seen a lot. It's a weird... But we get Bulls fans who are happy when he does good things. I think that's a a minority of the fan base. I I know the big thing with him was the disamazement of his positive plus minus... Oh yeah, the trillion whatever. Married with yeah, but even when it when it wasn't trillions, where he just kind of do nothing stats wise, or even in terms of the eye test, and he'd finish a game at like a plus twelve in the box score, and people be like, how? But that just means you're finding ways to be effective, or you're not hurting your team, you're not getting in the way of the better players when you're on the floor, which is kind of valuable. The Bulls, yes, the Bulls, we know, more than, we know more than any franchise. The Bulls right now could do with less players who get in the way of their good players. 
Yes, yes. And we know that experience very well. In yeah. fact, we jettisoned a player like that for Tony Snell. Like, that's, I don't know. I just find it weird. Like, I'm sure we, I mean, <laughs> I guess every team has that. I mean, that's what's happening with Dalvadova. That's what was happening with Mirza. I mean, it's just funny to me, like, like weird niche role players that kind of stay in their lane and when they do too much, like they draw the ire of everyone. It's like, what are you doing? And I, I mean, I'm guilty of doing that. Like that but I, I, I find that strange because I don't have any player. I don't think. You might correct me. Is there a player I always on this team? Uh, I have one, actually, maybe. Rashad Wait, what? what? I'm trying to think, is there a player on this team who I just – it really irritates me when I see him get minutes. That's probably Vaughn, if anyone. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I think that's – I still, it's not really like uh, – there is this, oh, we've got to make someone escape. It was Plumley too, but before it was – before he got traded, too. Yeah, but that's – it's literally – it just moves one to the other week by week then, since. Mm-hmm. So, like, how about we just stop saying, oh, it's because Delhi's terrible. It's because Toledovic is terrible. No, the team are just terrible. This is a bad team. This, this is really... I've, I think I've we should a, segue into the coach. <laughs> I've had enough of the roller coaster, right? This thing that we had before, where like probably last week or bef- week before that, we were like, well, really, are we, t- are we, should we talk playoffs again? They're one game back. I mean, three-game win streak. Is this where we are? This is a bad team. If this team makes the playoffs, they've been handed the playoffs by the Pistons or the Heat one of the teams above them, or someone's got injured for one of those teams. Because, I mean, there it was talked in the broadcast, like the first game back. Oh, yeah. They were talking about kind the of all, push. all the home games, and if they do this and this, and it's kind of, they were coming out of, like, if they just win these games, it's like, well, if they if they come in over 600, if they play to about 650 basketball for the rest of the season, them, they'll definitely make the play. Yeah, they will, and they have no chance in hell of doing that. No chance of Snell, even. But this team is just... It's not very good. And I think the... You know, I'll... I'll come back, I'll elaborate on this in a moment when we move on to that other section, but I think the best example of this... One, let's not pretend the Suns game. The Suns game was absolutely disgraceful and how they nearly lost that game was just embarrassing let's not pretend they did anything but beat the phoenix suns you see that lineup it's terrible brandon knight can't even play on that team that's how bad they are but the game against the jazz who are a good team a really good team but just how those players and that coach have now picked the books apart so methodically in two completely different ways. In and di- the different ways and how they pick them apart too. That's I'll, I will get to that in more detail because I think there's there's been no no bigger, better example of everything by the Jazz just being able to adjust and say, we can beat this team whatever way we want. <laughs> this is why I tweeted out that night on the site account this, this uh, gif of the dog patting the cat on the head because that is literally what the Jazz were doing. It was just like, oh, look at that nice little team there. Uh, roll over, we'll rub your belly, and we'll beat you by 25 points. It's just that easy. And I think that is the biggest indicator of what this Bucks team is. Because only say, maybe the last game, the next game, I think, before the All-Star break, I wrote on my post-game grades I did for that game. 
and I wrote like, if anyone knows what this team is, put your hand up because I just had no understanding. Well, I now understand that Jazz game did it because that's, are the Bucks a good team? Are they even capable of being a semi-good team? No, not close. This is a bad team. We'll get into some more reasons on that in a second. Just before we move on from players, Tony Snell, we know the Timberwolves are interested. Tepidly, tepid. My D- bet will be that D- warms D- up um, as we approach the summer. Because remember as well, they're in a similar position to the Bucks in that they're in need of a wing to fill in for one of their better players who is out with a torn ACL. <laughs> so the Bucks and the Timberwolves will have literally the same motivation for, well, Tony Snell could really help us longer term as a rotation piece, but in the short term, he could be a starter and fill that gap. Literally the same reason. It so steals him, man. Mm. I don't know. I wonder. I will drive to his house and bark at him. Ice, ice. It's <laughs> a good Tibbs impression. Yeah. What do you it's think the price? Not is as gra- grovelly or uh, gravel. What was the question? Sorry. What do you think the price is going to be for Snell? Timberwolves are at least the Timberwolves are much like the books and extensions and things make their situation not very straightforward in terms of paying up big money for guys and they're going to face not only wiggins but they're going to have to extend levine too levine, the jabari levine issue and they already paid gorgie jang a significant amount last year they have obviously cat coming down the line yeah that is oh the books can weird... the books can beat their offer but it's will they want to like is tibbs gonna really go all out for tony snell 40 for four 40 million over four years really that's, that's what you're saying on i think it's i know they can't, they can't do that i mean they really can't do that but again as a lot of people have talked about especially with the trade deadline it's it's very hard to find wings like a Tony Snell or the Tony Snell that we're seeing this year. And that comes with a, that comes with the price. Yeah, that, that, look, that is fair that, I mean, even at that price, and definitely if you could get him for any less, if he kind of kept up his current play and maybe he's just slightly improved year on year, this sounds like a jump right now, but the way Jay Crowder gets talked about because his contract yeah. is so relatively low, that's obviously what you're hinting at when you talk about the trade deadline. But that is, Crowder is the best example at the moment of a wing who's 3 and D, gives you a really reliable, solid production on a seriously undervalued deal. Yeah. And not even just trade deadline. I mean, obviously, Milton is another example of just a throw in, a wing throw in that, you know, blossomed into something far more greater than anyone could have realized. Um, yeah, it's. <sighs> I don't know. And I think it's not, I mean, Tim Rolls are a name or a team that could do it. There could be, there's. There'll be others too. He's not, he's going to have some interest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say 40 million over four years seems like that's where it could land. Like we're already, because if you're talking Moose and the, and right, rightfully so, if he's opting out of his player option, he's looking for more than that, really. Uh, and if you're getting in that range where you're, you said, I think 15 is low for Moose even. It's got to be more. 
And then if you're talking 10 million per for Snell, this is already getting, it's already getting away from the books or away from maybe what they should be prepared to do. And that's before Beasley or Terry. The one last bit on players, and I said I'd get there for you, John Henson. With all of that in mind, John Henson's trade is feeling increasingly inevitable, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I understand why they didn't do it. Uh, especially if you listen like low posts, like the Bucks are not the only team that had multiple big men that were available. Um, it just seems right, and I think too they they realize could be a top, he could be a top fifty-five protect the pick waiting to happen though. No, I don't think so. I mean, it, well, you can't rule anything out. <laughs> where where I'm saying that is, I've already buckled in my stance. Where I'm saying that is, and this was your prediction, you made it a while back. You predicted, or maybe you didn't on the podcast. You said it to me privately on multiple occasions. You feel Henson is going to get Ursan traded this year during the finals or something. Maybe if not quite as bizarre as that, um, kind of draft night. Maybe before, like, maybe like it, not like before. Yeah, actually, that sounds right. Maybe like before the draft night. I don't know, but it's going to be a weird, like, Oh, like weird timing. Maybe like an emergency. We do an emergency podcast. Like we we planned it for a Monday, and then you know Wednesday, June seventeenth or whatever, uh, he gets traded. Mark it down, June seventeenth. The same market down, right? Yeah. Um. Around the time that the the Teague George Hill trade happened last year, which I think was maybe three days before the draft, even something like that. I feel that's going to happen at that point. I expect the books have a good pick. More on that in a minute. Um, <laughs> I probably already did my bit on that, but more on that. Um, they'll know where they're going to stand the draft. They will have a good idea of what they want to do in free agency. And I mean, sure, if you can get a real second round or something, great. But they may also just be at the point where they're like, okay, to be able to do what we need to do, we need to get off this contract. I mean, they might have. It might be if, if it got to a point where they needed to move them and like needed to move them to do stuff. Uh, teams are smart enough not to just be, oh yeah, sure, we'll take them. That's some dates start asking for stuff to move them. So getting a top fifty-five protected pick could be actually the upside of that. Maybe there's a circumstance where they they'd have to I mean, pay they to, to move them. Them. Yeah, I I do feel. Again, I don't, I don't think his contract is that bad. This is what we've been asked before. Do the books have to give like a first round pick to get rid of Henson? I don't think that's the case. You now, with Plumley, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Could they have to give up a second round pick if they did it at a time where it was clear they were desperate enough that they just needed to get that money off the books right now? Um, which is that kind of time of year if it was a draft time trade where free agency is just around the corner. Maybe a second round or something has to go. But, yeah, I feel that trade is increasingly inevitable. And at this point, I, I like Henson a lot as a, as a person. Um, I like his personality. He's very well-liked within the team, has done a lot around the community for a long time. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, though, he's had now – he's had a lot of opportunity. And we used to always be able to say he's had chances, but never, you know, never that long stretch – and the more kind of smaller spells he's had without being able to seize the opportunity, you kind of realize, well, 
that's he could never have a longer stretch of time because he proves before that even that he's not the guy to hold it down so this year he had a really good chance at it and it just didn't happen Mm -hmm. so jordan that's the players which which one are we going to next um let's go oregon no coach let's do coaching coaching jason kidd is the name of the books (laughs) head coach and his basketball is the game yeah (laughs) i like that reference um (laughs) i i honestly i don't know where to i i have this problem those of you who read on the site regularly whenever i do the grades i have to fight the urge to start every single jason kidd grade section with i don't even know how to grade this anymore um Basically, the same problems just keep coming up, and then every now and then new problems just get thrown in to add further insult to injury. So where we're at right now is it feels like we've got a lot of old, deeply rooted, long-term problems, a lot of new, emerging, short-term problems. None of this is screaming out the future. This is not screaming out own the future, Jordan. It's not setting up the long-term success. Without kind of just raining all over kid straight off. <laughs> so you no, I don't. We haven't we haven't been this podcast. We've I guess to go back to where we were probably again this time last year. When we were talking about his contract, there was reason to feel, you know what, there might be an uncertain situation there at the time. I I was not a fan at all. I was very vocal about it throughout most of last season. But as we came to about this point the last year, my feeling was, let's give him the year, right? Let's give him that one year. This was going to be an expiring year. Let's see him prove that he's worthy of the job, that he deserves the chance long-term, that he's the right coach for this team, that he's actually a good NBA coach. Because now we've got four years, by the time this year is done, four years of Jason Kidd, the NBA coach. He has not really shown anything. I mean, the one the one season where really something positive was shown was that famous 41-41 season. No, I'm not. I'm not. Don't do that. No, I know. I'm just laughing at the famous 41. That is what we're kind of dealing with here. So there is a point where you've got to feel this is going to – he's the owner's guy. We notice they like him a lot. They respect them. They feel he's doing the right things. And there has been some individual development during his time as coach, whether that's coincidence that he's the coach and that's happening or whether it should be directly credited to him. It's very difficult for us to know. It's probably very difficult for those within the organization to know as well. Like, does Yanis just not become Yanis if Jason Kidd isn't there? I find that hard to believe. But at the same time, does Yanis get better with the ball in his hands because he's working with Jason Kidd? Probably. There's there's reason to believe that might be a thing. Um, but then, I mean, could you just have Jason Kidd come in like a KG John Stockton character instead? Would that be just? Will that give the same impact on that? Is Fred really Roberts. Does Fred Roberts do that? He was at that. He did like a camp for boys and girls. It wasn't a training camp. 
with inside. I mean, Fred Roberts could shoot. The books could have could have done with sending some guys along. Fred Roberts, Freddie Roberts. <laughs> I guess the first place I want to get with this, right? Let's look at kid overall. <laughs> if we're talking about the forty-one win season, if we're talking about that season in Brooklyn where eventually they became a competent and relatively competitive playoff team. There's one striking similarity that comes out on both of them. Veterans. Yes. My question with that really is, and like particularly that Nets team, that went bad at the start. And there was a lot of talk about, well, the players kind of took over and they steered the ship. So if we're putting that as a positive kind of kid season or show some of his coaching i'm finding it hard to kind of lavish too much praise on for you know guiding a team of unproven characters that included kevin garnett paul pierce <laughs> uh, joe johnson darren williams jason terry around to mirza playoffs and beat yeah i didn't want to go all oh, mirza reggie evans all of that sean livingston was actually there at that time too still yeah he was good that year too right uh there there's a lot of guys there who are kind of high character winning guys i uh, they would have to have played a big part in turning it around themselves if you're telling me like a locker room with garnett and pierce and jason terry and even those other guys, the likes of Darren Williams or Joe Johnson, who've been in good winning situations throughout their whole career, if you're telling me they don't kind of step up and put their own voice in their own direction forward, I don't believe that. So that's that season. I think the other, the season with the books, the one that we have as really his only good season to look at, that comes down to we can see what that team did with Dudley, Ilyasova, and Pachulia. And then we can see what the team became the following summer when those three guys left. And now with the hindsight of it all, you've got to ask, I guess, how much of last year, how much of last year that we pinned on Monroe being a bad fit or whatever was really more about just Zaza and Urson and Jared Dudley papering over so many cracks are really leading that team from the inside at this point like the the evidence to me feels to shift in that direction is there a really valid case for well the best things jason kidd has done as a coach have come behind and smart veterans really like that books team is a great example because okay it's one thing saying kg paul pierce whatever but it's another saying. Julia and Dudley are not superstars. <laughs> never have been. Uh, I'm sure Sam has had two week spells where he looked like a superstar. In fact, I remember some of them. But after the two weeks, I mean, say with Urson. Say with Urson. Yeah, that's what I said. Oh, I thought you said Zaza. No, Zaza has not had spells like that. Well, hey, la- the way he it, played last year with the Dallas. Yeah, okay. Okay, I forgot about that. He, he's almost an all-star two years in a row. I, don't, I haven't forgotten that. Don't worry. Mm. They were positionally incredibly intelligent guys. And they were vocal. And they were leaders in different ways. Where someone like Gerson was maybe more of a kind of quietly, by example. Um, guys like Zaza and Dudley were more vocal. 
how much or in what way do we have to take that into account with Jason Kidd, the coach, and what he's done so far? Everything. <laughs> it feels like that to me because I just don't it's, know what his I don't know what his resume is without those veterans. And I think honestly, we had this this uh, discussion around Christmas, if I remember. And that's when I was probably a little bit more positive than where I am now. And, you know, obviously the outlook of the team was far better than what we realized and far better than where it is now. And I think a lot of that is just becomes I, – I, I said to – at the time, and I said this before, it's just, you know, rebuilding that bench. But, you know, the more you think about it and tying it back to what you just said, just having veterans. Jason Terry is – had is having a good season with the Bucks. He's a veteran. He may only play what I don't know. It's probably maybe sixty minutes a game, somewhere around there. That's just a guess in my head. I'm not looking at basketball reference until I will. But uh, you know, having him, even Della Vadova, I know saying he's a veteran. Some even weird. even Michael Beasley, Michael Beasley, Toledovich. That's these guys that know their role, know you know how to communicate. Just having years of experience. Because when you're a core group of players, even Chris Middleton, Chris Middleton obviously is in the core group of players, but he is a veteran to guys like Giannis, uh, Jabari, even, uh, you know, obviously now Thon, Brogdon. Like these guys, I, I mean, I don't know. It's, but I, it's think, I those... think it's also important in like it brings some like Middleton into that or say Henson into that, who Henson now has been in the league a while. But they're guys who – I know Middleton started as a piston, but look, he didn't play a ton there. His experience is almost exclusively to the books. There's a value to having guys who aren't just experienced, but they're, I feel like a veteran is generally, you know, it's someone who's had experience around the league. They know what different teams feel like, what the vibe of different teams, what the ideas that different coaches put forward, the feeling within different locker rooms. It's being able to gauge all of that stuff rather than just experience. So it's having guys who have come from somewhere else can bring different ideas or philosophies and kind of mesh that together. Yeah. And who, I mean, we can't forget about Novak. I know that sounds, it sounds like I'm making a joke, but that is true. That was what his role was when he was on the team. And that's what it was, you know, from the start of it to the finish. And, and that, when you compare plays in though, Jordan, when we go, he does nothing. Why is he there? Yeah. Like, well, why, like, why do they have to trade with higher value on that than anyone? Because. He knows how important that is to his success, which is all he exactly. can go on as a coach. Yeah. That's why they have Spencer. <laughs> I, that, see, that's where I had to make the joke. That's where I had to make the joke. But when you compare that to a season like last year where, you know, I mean, do I really have to go in case by case of the veterans that were there, of the, play, no, the young no, players? No, we've, we've been true. That, that's just... I know, but I'm just saying, like... It's a it, horror show. It's it's like... It was that, a horror show. That roster is comparable to the one from two years ago, if not for the fact that Yanis was now Yanis and Middleton was Middleton and Jabari was Jabari. Like, the the names, like that bad Jabari who came back post-injury, like, is still... You compare that to what the books had in the 15-win season. Not the 41, the 15 win season. Yeah. Um, the rest of those names like were comparable in a lot of ways. There was kind of a, a true line there. But the issue I have with that is 
one you can't right these are some of the kind of inbuilt excuses i don't i really don't feel fans are making these for kid at this point but i feel like if the ownership were to try and assess and get an idea of what jason kidd is actually doing is he a good coach is he the right coach for us these are the things that will be weighed up so first thing you'd say oh that first season you know jabari injury well that actually turned out to be his best season so straight away that was kind of by fluke that became something that it wasn't supposed to be worked really well they got to the playoffs last year he has a full year of the three core guys they're terrible the team is awful um consistently worse than this year because they didn't have the ups and downs but then you come to a season like this one where you could go okay well oh you know middleton's injury i guess the counter to that is they were they had probably their best stretch of the season without middleton obviously towards the end it tailed off but the good books that we saw for a little while came in that time and then what Jabari goes in, oh, look, Jabari's down. Well, then it goes back to what he managed before. He managed two seasons ago when Yanis was like nothing to work something at Jabari. Why couldn't he now? There's a, there's a lot of issues in finding a kind of an ability to compare one to the other because I feel like he doesn't instill this great sense of continuity where you can even compare one team to the other. In three years we've had three completely different teams. Mm-hmm. And that's that's gone from personnel to the style and their strengths. We just go back to once again. Three years ago was first season, second best defense in the NBA to this year where the defense is like, I don't know, it's stuck together with pieces of scotch tape, um, secondhand scotch tape even. Three pointers are there for every team who walks into the building. And now to get to the Jazz game. For those of you who didn't watch the Jazz game carefully or didn't see the Jazz game. Or turned out like me. <laughs> the Jazz are that, that was not a joke either. I know that sounds like I made a joke, but the, the Jazz are a really good team. You'll agree with that. They are Oh yeah. They're definitely a top ten team in the league right now. Um they would be, you know, they wouldn't be far off top five. They're probably top six, seven. They'd probably, the, they'd probably be fighting for a two seed in the East. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think they would be the two seed. I, I do. I think they're in that mix, though, which is where you're putting them at sort of five to seven overall. Mm-hmm. So really good team, incredible depth. Um, they're going to have their own problems like the books because of the way the salary cap is going to work against all of their guys coming up at once, whatever, but a really good team right now. Quinn Snyder then as a coach is one of the best coaches in the NBA. In terms of kind of non-proven, um, like if we're, okay, just detach it from pop, like, or. Well, it's also the small market effect too. Not a lot. I mean, there, are a, there's like a, the NBA Twitter, if you're in the know or you write there, basketball, that there's even like the, the darling of right because yeah. but even there's the there's the extra shine brad stevens gets for doing things like yes. quinn snyder might but because he's the celtics coach rather than the jazz coach right so 
really good team, really good coach. This is a team who all during the off season, even still mid season, anytime, any website decided to do future power rankings, the jazz would be one of the teams there at the books. Often the books would rank ahead of jazz. So what the jazz really are right now is the team you want to be next year or the year after where you're really good. You're really solid. And you can see your path to potentially taking that next step. That's the goal for the books right now. That's their next step. So coming up against a team like that is interesting. So the books go to Utah. Other way around. No, I'm, I'm, start, I'm starting back. I'm starting back with the first. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. yeah, sorry. So books go Salt Lake City. They play the Jazz. How are the Jazz going to approach the books? One, they absolutely stifle the books defensively. Um, maybe Yanis' worst game of the season, he had eight points. Yeah, if you discount his sick game. Yeah, which, I mean, uh, it, I will discount it because he didn't play the whole game. Yes. So, of games, he played the whole game. The only team to really, like, be incredibly effective at shutting him down is the Jazz. Beyond that, though, they decided, okay, what has been costing the books a lot of games recently? It's the open three-pointer. The Jazz are not an incredibly high-volume three-point shooting team. But on that occasion, they decided, okay, not only are we going to shoot a lot of trees, but we're going to get them exactly where we want them. I can't remember the exact number right now. I wish I could. But the Jazz made somewhere in the region of five or 600 wide open corner trees in that game. Um, don't think that literally, of course it wasn't five or 600, but it was a lot of, it was a lot of open corner trees. Overall on the game, they attempted 29 three pointers which I feel there were a team who maybe attempted somewhere in the 20 range per game. They made 11 of them. And maybe more important than that, they kind of they kind of hit hard pretty early and the game was over. So that's on the road. The Jazz said, let's target the three-pointer. Let's beat the books that way. Then last week, post-All-Star break, first game back, Bucks fans feeling the optimism of Giannis, the all-star, three-game winning streak, the Jazz show up again. And I think it is logical for everyone to be like, okay, watch out for the corner tree. That's what. That's how they beat the Bucks the last time. But the players were smart enough, the coach was smart enough to adjust to that and say, okay, corner tree did it last time. This time, let's do the complete opposite. Let's use the corner tree to kind of, you know, fake the space, create the opening. And let's go straight down the middle, right to the rim, and have dunk after dunk after dunk. I have a, sorry to interrupt, but I'm looking at a shot chart right now, and by my count, there are only two three-pointers. This is the first Jazz game. Uh, there are only two three-pointers that weren't in the corner. Of, of 29 attempts or of the makes? Of the makes. Okay, so nine of their 11 three-pointers were corner. Mm-hmm. And it's probably safe to say all nine of those were wide open. Yeah, probably. And in the second game, they just decided to kill the books down the middle. And 
for me, there's been no bigger indictment of the books than that. And when I say the books, that's not fair because it's of Jason Kidd. Because that was coming up against a really good coach, a coach who had, I guess, picked his team apart with the most glaring flaw that they have in the first game. Um, the the weakness that every team in the NBA probably knows to look to exploit with the books. But then was able to adjust in the second game, say, okay, well, they're also vulnerable in this way. And having created that threat in our last game, we can just go to this over and over. And why is the problem that it was over and over in both senses, three-pointers and dunks is, you'd like to think within that game, it comes to a point where you're just like, you know what, no more dunks. Let's collapse inside. Let's, okay, they beat us three-pointers last time. Let's make them make the trees again. Or let's foul. Let's not let them get dunks. Let's just no, no easy two points. No gimmies. Let's foul them, send them to the line, make them make their shots. Whatever it is, there was no adjustment. And just completely picked apart so methodically in two entirely different ways in two games. Did you see that watching it? Am I alone in feeling like that was maybe because look, there's been awful losses this year but that kind of happens but for me it's kind of the spotlight of good team good coach and then just being able to vary and diversify the ways that they basically toy with the books that for me was just like this is this is beyond the joke now this has gone too far um i mean uh, i don't know i i I think I mean, to the degree that, you know, the compare and contrast of how they beat the Bucks from the first game to the second game, obviously that is, it was overwhelmingly, you know, noticeable. Um, and there were some pretty funny uh, kid reactions to whatever was happening defensively, miscues and all that stuff, or after three-pointers are hit, all that, you know. Again, it is like I, I don't know. I, it wasn't to me. It's not like I have that joke. It was. I was just. It was a more resigned reaction. It wasn't just like made me angry or anything like that. I was just more resigned to. It. It was like, oh yeah, like you know, you can have the best defensive performance, or you can game plan the way you, or you can have a spirited practice uh, coming out of the break or whatever it was. Um, and it just you get sunk back into the Bucks madness that is uh, this season. And it, I don't know. It's my my biggest problem. Like not to kind of go away from it is my the thing that has I keep coming back to, especially since you know the start of this year, uh, 2017, not the season. Is we keep hearing everything about defensively and the principles and effort and all that stuff. I know that has been a big bugaboo for a lot of people and you know calling out we just didn't have it tonight like all these generalities that kid has always had and he had it during the 41 and 41 season and he's going to talk like that because if you give any specific quote that's going to make up you know like to be bore as boring as possible is to you know kind of play it safe you well, know what I mean? at least at least when you've established that like i mean now when kid says something real it blows when he's, su- up he's sucking because- on a mint and he said it's all my yeah. bad or it's yeah, uh, but that's because he's not Rick Carlisle. So, so he's not yeah, saying something he's not real Rick Carlisle, every night. J- Jason so, Kidd. Exactly. So when Rick Carlisle speaks, 
you're expecting something real from a basketball. This is the reason it went wrong tonight. This is what we did wrong. Jason Kidd has never done that. Never. never. It's all just generalities. So he's going to stick to that because if he broke that now, like he maybe did, but, well, that he didn't even. That was just weird. I don't. We don't need to go back to the whole sucking on a mint thing again. But when he does something like that, it's Show then me like, other spoilers. <laughs> it's then like, what the hell is Jason Kidd? doing because this isn't what he normally does yeah but uh so you keep hearing all this stuff and obviously the defense has gone back to where it was last year but the opposite of this and nothing that really like i don't think a lot of people are talking about because there is it's not a problem that you know it's not a problem well except for the last you know last five minutes is the offense where they are in above i think there was a stat something i I can't remember where I read this, so I'm forgetting to properly attribute to it. But I think this is the first year that the Bucks have been above average offense since it's been some time now, maybe 2012, maybe 2010. 2010, actually, it sounds wrong. It's been a couple years since they've been an above average offense. And, um, you know, a lot of uh, – when we talk about the offense – the majority of the time when we're talking about the offense is late game crunch time situations. The fact that they've had, you know, these painful losses late in game. Now, obviously it's a worthy discussion to have, but it's like one of those things where there the bucks this year right now, if we are to take, not to call them a bad team or good team, but if you break it down on both ends, they're a bad defensive team that, they're dedicated to being a better defensive team. That is what they want to be. But they're also a good offensive team that their biggest struggles have been late in game. And it's like one of these weird things where it's like, well, what team do you want to be? And that obviously this comes to the whole crux of the questions that we keep asking ourselves or for this podcast is what kind of team do you want to be? You're obviously a good offense team, but you're not talking about that. You're talking about, we have to pride ourselves on defense. We that's, have to pride. But our... that's important because he he directly addressed that recently. Maybe it was just before the break, but he talked about that probably before the three game win streak. So before they snapped out yeah. of that, um, I want to say maybe after the Nuggets game where they put in a really good performance but didn't ultimately win. Yeah, he made the comment of they've got away from being the defensive team and they've realized they can score a lot of points really easily. But he kind of we said, can't well, can't outscore them or whatever it was. Yeah, that's not one of those games where we can't outscore them. There is a there's a possibility that maybe they could, you yes. know, they have lineups yeah. where they could do that. I remember us having this conversation way back in preseason. I said something that I thought there was a possibility, and you thought I was completely insane at the time. Um, you know, you're probably right because you were maybe remembering who the coach was, and I wasn't. But they have lineups. Like the, the best example of this, and I don't want us to get lost down this because I feel strongly about it, you feel very passionately about it, is Telethon. Well, not specifically Telethon. Telethon. Just Mirza. Mirza, regardless yes, yes. of whether Khan is with him or not. The use of Mirza, I know, once again, I'd like to think most people listening to this understand the value of Mirza, even if. They don't always like the results they see when he's on the floor. Um, but, like, it's one thing. Like, I'm just saying, I, I'd like to think most people listening would understand that. Mm-hmm. 
us as like bloggers, as two people with a podcast, those of you listening who are just fans, like it's really it's not on any of us to understand the value. We you'd like to think the coach understands the value. Seriously, like there should just be no real case where he disappears in the rotation for four games when you look at how the offense can really step up with that. Now, the reason for it might be understandable if he's if he's really just locked in on we're a defensive team. But it's at what point does that become complete and utter insanity when, you know, you're not a defensive team. Maybe you could be good if you'd embrace the fact that, you know, Yanis is freakish offensively he's great defensively and um, probably even more freakish on that end but he is now good enough on offense that you can mesh in with some of your other guys and really maximize your abilities yeah and a lot of and again as a lot of people have said that i'm not uh you know a forward thinker i'm saying echoing a lot of people what they have said already about the defense the whole way that they have, you know, built their defense around using their length, using their athleticism, all that stuff, that is the prime reason why they have built that, the way that the defense is. But those attributes and the players that they, well, I guess on a night-to-night basis, it might change considering, what you know, kid, but those things aren't going away. So why don't you construct – like this is what a lot of people are saying. Why don't you construct a simpler defense that doesn't, you know, is the vulnerability to open threes to the jazz game where, you know, the middle, basically like the Mori ball. That is what their defense. I know Eric name has uh, said it multiple times. It's a Mori ball designed defense where it's not about the shots that they give up, but it's about the timing. And that's what, I don't know. It's just a whole other but isn't it also with that scheme, right? And to note with that scheme, it's fine to have the idea of, oh, you know, we'll do that because we've got long athletic players. But the players have changed from when that scheme was originally conceived. Yes. So exactly. when it was at its best, you had, okay, Jared Dudley is long still. And if he's a part of it and he's filling a gap, that's different. There were different guys doing that. Even look, I hate to bring it in, but Brendan Knight is a different guy within that role to some of the others. They're, they're different pieces. I feel in the time since, there's almost been this, you know, long equals this, as if just by being long, you'll work in this scheme, which isn't the case. And it's just, to be honest, it's really, offensively recently, it's been killing me. It looked like Point Yanis was back, then Point Yanis isn't back. Like, everyone's going to pile on and kill Delhi for not being very good. But then look at what Delhi's being asked to do exactly, in certain that's, yes. It's not what he's good at. If you ask him to and do more not, than he's not, capable of, that's on the coach when it goes wrong. Yeah, let's not fool ourselves, too, that it equally applies to Brogdon, who has been really great this year. But when a game like the Suns game, where he is overwhelmingly noticeable of how good he is and how everything is running through him, and it's not Giannis, like, Point Giannis is dead. Let's stop calling that it's, oh, it's back and all this stuff. Like, they're, when they succeed, or games like when Brogdon succeeds and when, you know, Delhi has been fine, uh, 
it's because the ball has been in their hands. And a lot of the problems that the Bucks have had late in the game is because the ball is in their hands. That's what it comes down to. Like, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. But let's the whole piling on aspect of of everything, especially when it comes to Delhi and the role and how that's seemingly lost in everyone. It's it, that's what's so frustrating about the whole point guard situation, uh, specifically to that. But what it feels like to me is, it feels like he was given Delhi or he was given Brogdon without the context context of why they were guys picked, like. This is it's a different scenario. Uh, if we imagine this isn't the books where there's no real divide between what the coach does and what front office does. This is another team. You'd feel like the front office had one vision for the team and they decided to sign Delhi and Jason Kidd had another and he doesn't actually know how to use that player like the front office planned on it. Except we know that's not the case. Kid went and scouted Delhi during the finals. He went himself, sat at a game and watched Delhi play. So there was this collective kind of thing of, okay, look what Yanis does, and he does it so well. I know you're saying it's dead. You're right, because he's just not going to fully commit to it. But what really bugs me is it's not dead, because he'll just, every now and then, there'll be a game yeah. where he'll bring it back or spell in that game. And when he does it, it goes well. And then it's just, well, why is this not something that's around all the time? I yeah. just, this is the thing. It's just the lack of consistency on everything. It's like, Oh, Toledovich plays 34 minutes tonight, then he has six straight DNPs. Uh, John Henson starts 28 games, then he gets a ton of DNPs. It's just a constant change. Rashad Vaughn returns from the dead. Like, I mean, he should have stayed there. But, I mean, <laughs> it just really bugs me that I don't know. And it's not our job to know. You could say we shouldn't know. But I'm now into almost a third full year of watching a Jason Kidd books team play basketball. At that time, with anyone else, look around the league, read other websites, look at beat writers who regularly report on teams. You get a sense for what the team is going to do. You get a sense for what that coach likes to do. That just isn't that simple with the books because and you only, switch it up. When you don't know what's don't going on is when the team is bad. So 99% of the time then. Yeah. And when on a night to night basis, it's like, oh, look at this, huh? Like, uh, uh, following the Kings recently, like that, I've, but that's I've even, already known even that tonight, thing. even tonight, Jordan, before you get to your Kings bit, but even tonight, <laughs> when that whole Brogdon outburst happened in the third quarter, it was like, oh, what? Uh, Brogdon and Yanis are working in the pick and roll together. So it was yeah. a pick and roll with two ball handlers. They were, they were getting like lots of nice kind of side action with two guys who could handle the ball. And Make right they moves. had Monroe out there who works really well with Brogdon, was a solid kind of an option for either Yanis or Brogdon that, okay, he is there. We know where he's going to be. We could pass to him. Monroe is a good enough passer that he could operate a give and go with either of those guys, look for someone in the corner. So it's just kind of these logical things of, Okay, well, if Yanis and Brogdon on the floor, if they do this, and Monroe is also on the floor, he should be there. Where it's like, you don't have to worry about other teams figuring that out because there's an element of certain lineups you have just might be good enough that even when they're figured out, they're better than what other teams are going to put up against you. And this is an element in particular of Yanis, right? When you've got Yanis, 
everything doesn't have to be revolutionary around him. You don't always have to be constantly tinkering with something because there are times where Yanis is just going to beat other teams because he's better than their players. Mm-hmm. And I feel we're at a point and have been for a long time where the decisions around that can just get in the way of just letting some of those players go and be whatever they're to be. The stuff beyond that in the rotation, it's just like, I, I can't even go down this road again of the rotation and not knowing what it is, who is where, but it's the same principle. It's just this, who is the bench tonight? Who's going to play? Is Rashad Vaughn going to appear as the first sub off the bench for no reason known to man? All of a sudden. 26 minutes like you did against the Pacers like a couple weeks ago. That's just, it's complete madness. I don't understand it. Yeah. So where are, we at? where are we at on this? <laughs> I guess we're talking, okay, the owners want the playoff team going into the new arena. So they're having a playoff team next year, and we know that's a season where they're not going to have Jabari for at least 60% of it. Peter Fagan said this week that he the playoffs is the goal for this year. This year, they're still this is still the focus. They're not making the playoffs. They're not making the playoffs. They're not even coming close. Let's kill the playoff idea right now. This team is terrible. Seriously, I'm not. Giannis is incredible. They have yeah. great, great pieces in there. But if anyone who's watched the team like in 2017 can tell me that this is a good team or this is a team who are going to figure this out. I, I just, I find it really hard. I think we've got some on the mailbag, but it's like, you know, this specific game, it's like, oh, did they win that game because of this? Or that? It's like, but don't, they won that game because they have good players who should be able to win more games. Let's not read into that. It's all of the games they lose. That's like, why did they lose that game? Why did they almost lose to the Suns when Yanis sat for five minutes, 30 seconds from the midway point of the fourth <laughs> quarter? Because he had no rest all game. And all of a sudden, oh, whoa, it's a one-point game. It's just like, let's not be completely ridiculous here. That's not. Why is Chris Middleton playing tonight on the first night of a back-to-back when you're playing the Suns, one of the worst teams in the NBA? And then he's not playing against the Cavs. You want to lose by 50 to the Cavs? Is that? It's really just, I find it so, so frustrating. I can't apply reason. I can't apply flawed logic and say, you know, I, he wants to do this, but it's coming out like that. I just don't understand so much of it. And it's, it's going on a long time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Jordan, you do know. Come on, you've got to have something on this. Um, in terms of solutions or finding ways to we, reason Okay, we, we talked before. This is from early in the season. Anytime there'd be a blip, we would be asked, well, is, is, could, could, could Kid be fired? Could Kid be fired? We'd say, no, no. He just signed an extension. No, no, no. It's not possible. Is there a scenario where Kid could be fired this summer? I'm just, well, I mean, we can conjure up a scenario. For Is there sure. a scenario? We don't have to conjure up. Uh, the season finishes as it's going to finish. They miss the playoffs, end up with another lottery pick. 
Is Kid I Rock? I I would probably say no. I think they would come up with a reason to reason. Oh, we lost Jabari. You know that's, that's in his interest to do that. That is not in the organization. That's what they did last year, though. That is exactly they said we had injuries. But you know that's fine. That was last year, and that was wrong at the time. But now you're three years into that. Once again, we are coming to this point where you know what? It's about the now, not about the future. But this kind of just trite crap of selling us the future as if like and have a picture of Michael Beasley. <laughs> I don't I, that's what everyone says, but I don't have the issue with that. I have the yeah, issue but with you, the, I don't I don't have the issue with that. My issue is they show whoever and their team's losing by twenty five points. Oh yeah yeah yeah. They're losing by nine in the second quarter, We're still quarter in quarter to the Suns as like <laughs> Chris Tianis hashtag on the future. And I, I'm not just having that as a social media thing, although it's very prevalent there. It's that's kind of that's the speak we get from everyone. And so, what point do we have to be like? You know, this was a bad season. This is a bad season. It wasn't really acceptable. That's fine. Even if he's still your coach, if they want to do that, I'm not necessarily going to agree with that. But if they want to do that, that's fine. But there's got to be a point where everyone comes out. I don't want to go back to you know the old accountability chestnut, but where people kind of go, right, this was a bad season. Sure, we had the injuries, but a lot went wrong here. We've got to change. We've got to change this. We've got to... There are things which can't be done in the summer, like the defense... Are there things that can't be done mid-season. The defense can't just be completely transformed right now. It has mm-hmm. to be done in off-season, but then can he do that? I don't know. All of this, where it all factors into is we've got the decisions of the players... You've got the coach needs to be it needs to be assessed overall. And once again, the reason for that is because they're starting a D League franchise. So whatever he's coaching at the top is one it's gonna be coached down in the D League as well. Is this what you want the entire organization to be? Because right now, whatever he's his principle might be fine as in he wants to be a defensive first team. Mm. But that's not a problem. But it's the way you go you're about not it. actually a defensive first team and you keep trying to be it, that's a problem. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of basketball discussions that have to be had this summer. And uh, yeah, I can't think of anything to follow you up. Did, you that. didn't need anything beyond that. <laughs> On to the predictions. Uh, the records right now, first place, Adam Kaufman, 34 and 23. Lucas Harkins, Ty Windish, Ron Caddy, all tied one game back in 33 and 24. I'm on 32 and 25. Tim Ray, 30, 27 alongside Tom Feister. And still rooted to the bottom, Jordan Tresky, 29 and 28. And I didn't, oh, read, anyone, I didn't read anyone else's point differential, but Jordan's is the worst, so I'll read it. It's 7, 7, 8. Go big or go home. Seven seven eight. You know what that adds up to? Twenty-two. Seven plus seven plus seven. Yeah. Um this week we have on Monday the books on the road against the Cavs. Cavs by twenty-three. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go Cavs by Cows by 11 because I feel they'll be able to pull LeBron and company early. And also, 
Giannis is going to put in one hell of a game, but he just doesn't have help, particularly when Middleton's not there. Like, this is going to be like the Jazz game where, okay, Giannis has like 33, 12, and 6. Um, Beasley could have 23 and 6. And it doesn't matter because there's no one else. I mean, you need Monroe to go for 25 plus points. Not going to happen that easily. On Wednesday, books are back home for a three-game homestand, which would seem to be, you know, very important. This is one of these when people go, you know, push for the playoffs, the home games. <laughs> Gotta win those home games. Books are a, they're a good home team. Well, this week we've got Wednesday against the Nuggets, Friday against the Clippers, Saturday against the Raptors. Yeah. Nuggets. Um, you know, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go Bucks, Bucks by seven. Uh, I'll go Nuggets by eight. Clippers. Clippers by sixteen. I'll go Clippers by twelve. Raptors. Raptors by Raptors by 11. I will go Raptors by 28. Oh my God. The Bucks can't play that team. The Bucks could not play that team before they got PJ Tucker and Sergi Baca. But the Raptors team is, I don't know. There's something fishy about them now. Right. Do you want to see them snap I'm out just... of that? No, I'm just saying. Let them play the books. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think the books will ever beat the Raptors again. I well, I, I'm not saying that they're going to win. I'm just saying the Raptors of... I, I restrained myself. I was going to go over 30. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe I'm wrong. No, yeah. second night of back-to-back. I was thinking I was going to go... Yeah, home. Know, I was going to go Saturday night. it would be a good crowd at it's the Bradley right. Center. And then I was like, you know what? No, that's crazy. Live. They're going to be going home. Going home sad. What was it given? Mailbag. We're going to fly through a few of these very quickly. God damn it. <laughs> Sorry, time you... pressure, Jordan. I know, oh, but it's not like you nailed a, a thing to your boot. I'll think my boot <laughs> hammered a nail to uh, to your boot. What the way you grumbled? <laughs> okay, from at Alex underscore caning zero two three. Am I going blind, or does Vaughn look like he's playing defense really well? He's playing defense. I mean, that is the that is the one thing. Rashad Vaughn is a fine defensive player. That's all oh he really God. has at this point. He no, he's a fine, he's, fine. I'm, fine, he, fine sounds like in that context, it's like you're no, 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 not, I'm not. It's not a like what a fine work of art that is. You're you're saying he's average. He's just he's passable. Yeah, middle of the road. Okay. If, yeah. Be careful with your fine there. You could say Yanis is one of the finest NBA players. Well, that's a different. He, finest means like 
Well, let's be very specific here when we're talking about Vaughn because Rashad Vaughn is one of the finest players (laughs) the Bucks have that doesn't play that often. I'm sorry. I know everyone hates this. I get in trouble every time I tweet these kind of things, but I'm out on Vaughn. Oh. I mean, if the roster sizes are going to extend, that's still no reason for him to be around next year. I'm really, I just, I don't. Oh, maybe, the... maybe the coach is the problem with Vaughn. He says, <laughs> you waving at jazz straws, hands. Waving you were jazz waving jazz hands. hands. Waving jazz hands. By the way, have you, sneaky subplot in the Rashad Vaughn uh, uh, ways of life. He has become the 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 Bucks like Cameron Payne in the intro to the game. Have you noticed that? It, it dawned oh, I saw on me today. Delhi earlier, and I just thought it was the bizarrest. They had a weird routine. Yeah, he well, did with I the like, honest. I like that analogy though. That yeah. uh, being in the Bucks, Cameron Payne, because you know Cameron Payne is not doing that in Oklahoma City anymore. Maybe the maybe the Bucks will deal a second round pick along with Vaughn for you know Joffrey Laverne or whatever. <laughs> Anthony Morrow. No, that, the books would be sending them though. They'd be getting. That's what I'm saying. Players. If yeah, you okay. package it, yeah. You're saying they're gonna get real players for a deal that includes not real. <laughs> let's not let's not go that far. Um, from at Alex underscore Kane zero two three again. Oh, deep breath. Did the three game win streak mean that Middleton is better than Jabari, or was the rest of the team just playing better? What? They're playing against bad teams. And it was also just, this team isn't like the Nets. So if you lose whatever it was, 14 out of 16 games running into that, eventually sort of the law of averages are going to let you win some games. I really yeah. feel that's what that You played the Pacers, the, the Pistons, and the Nets. Those are Good matchups. Even the ones that aren't necessarily bad teams are good matchups for the books. We've seen that proven this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Alex underscore Kane zero two three again. Do we know how long those top fifty five protected picks last? Dudley one has outside chance to convey. Still possible. I don't believe it is. I believe it's expired. They are normally if they don't. I want to say it was nineteen as well. It was like far. It was far. I thought it was. Oh, maybe I thought it was twenty. Oh, maybe you're right. You know, maybe I. I might have to go for a deep dive on that. Uh, to my knowledge, though, all top fifty-fives are—they convey or they don't. Like that's the the whole purpose of them is that it doesn't linger long enough that it might become something. The idea is you're not trading anything, so I don't see it. I mean, the I did consider mentioning this in the Hibbert trade thing by twenty nineteen. If the Nuggets managed to leverage some of their other pieces, get out of here! Get out of here! No, they... no, no. If they got Paul George or Jimmy Butler, no, with, that's with two Jokic. years away. That is Paul two George years away. Jokic. They could be a top five team. Darius Miles and Elton Brand. Who cares so anyway? Five. I mean, even if they were a top five team, great. We got the fifty eight pick in the draft. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> but there's a. I will we'll, say we'll draft because uh, the Nuggets might be really. I I I'm all in on the Nuggets. <laughs> um, <laughs> From Alex again. It'll be a while before we get to other people, but you're in there. Don't worry. If the books were better, which, I mean, there's a hypothetical for you. <laughs> would Giannis have a legit or at least dark horse chance at the MVP? No. I, I hated this 
when it was hap- when I saw people talking about this earlier in the season, and I still do not like it. Uh, yeah, I, not- I, don't, I don't. I like. I used to be able to see this logically, and now we're so far below the point where this is within the realm of possibility that I find it hard to. I don't. I mean, no. Even I players on good teams. Even players on good teams. I'm sorry. But the whole Isaiah Thomas stuff. No, well, that's, I that's under- so stupid. It really is. But I, I understand what, why people are talking about it. It's not going to happen. The, you I, don't, I don't even understand it, though, Jordan, because is he is he James Harden or Kevin Durant or LeBron James, He's too? Alan Iverson. Yeah, I don't know. So, uh, I'll no. Giannis has, a, uh, has most improved player in the bag, at least, right? This is also from Alex. I would think so, just because I'm not having a lot of standout candidates jump out at me. Maybe Nikola Jokic could. It's Jokic. Jokic is the one that, that's going to... Giannis went from last year to being an all-star starter, though. I don't know if that if Jokic can beat that out. It's It depends on how people view in context, because there is some... One last year, post-all-star break, whatever, everything. Already. But people were watching the Nuggets. Or you're talking about the Bucks. Oh yeah, I'm talking. I'm talking. I mean, I guess Giannis both applies. Six triple doubles last year, I guess. So he was already a unknown no, name. Nikola Jokic was not to everyone. Now he is. Yeah, I guess. For Brandon underscore Owen, what's kid's problem with Teletovic? DMPCD last game. Team seems to play better with him on the floor. I mean, I think Never we went wavered. through this one. Never uh, wavered. There's. Whatever kids' problem is, it doesn't make sense. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, from at Philandua, if the season ended today, what sort of deals would the books free agents be offered? We touched on them. Um, competitive deals, I think, is the thing. So there could be decisions to be to be made for the books there. From at Eddie Batoon, with Parker's injury could moving Chris to the tree and re-up Snell, band-aid the books while allowing Parker to rest for a year. I feel absolutely this. This is what I would like to see them do next year. Basically what we saw tonight for the rest of the season and into next year if they could bring Snell back. Yeah, would agree. From a Pencil 2292, what trade package would you accept for Brogdon? I wouldn't right now. The second he's going to be on the second round pick deal for the next few years. Again, it's like, what do you move him for and find production at that cost? You can't. It's literally impossible. Mm-hmm. So I just wouldn't really be moving him unless you're putting him with some other piece that doesn't really matter to get a major upgrade overall. So it would be dependent on what else was in the trade. I wouldn't be moving Brogdon in his own right. From at Umaga the Goat, why is Michael Beasley so good? Because <laughs> he's... Uh, second overall pick. Yeah, second overall pick. Pedigree. Yeah. He's realizing that potential now. From at Joe Osterndorf, season so far, biggest letdown, Delhi, Telly, or Henson? Uh, honestly, Henson. I thought about this when I saw it come in. I I think Delhi may be the most disappointing, but I tend to agree with you just because Henson keeps disappointing us over and over again. And even when he, he had he had the opportunity to 
really run with it, especially with Plumlee being so terrible early on. And that never came to be. Best surprise, Snell, Monroe, or Jet? Bees. Yeah, I, I think Snell's right up there too now. I just, it, because it's it's getting better and it's sort of consistently staying there. There's a lot of really positive surprises. Bees, we could throw Bees in there and then that kind of says a lot about how important this summer is that the four players in the best surprise <laughs> may all have to be paid this summer. That's not great. Yeah. Um, the, the three biggest letdowns, the guys who have been paid, the four biggest surprises, guys set to be paid. From up, Ryan Ball Zero, is Delhi really this bad or is he just in an extended slump? I, I think he's a, it's a slump, but beyond that, I just think he's been put in. He's been given a role that isn't what's best for him. You're putting yeah. him in a bad situation, and guess what? He's failing. How yeah. surprising. Totally agree. From at Splish Splash FC, could we be looking at a Hercules situation with Yanis, a demigod that's one great deed from returning to Olympus? Troubling. Wait, what? He's returning to Olympus? I don't well, I don't think in this context. I, I feel like you're imagining you literally? back to Greece. Yeah. I don't think it's it's literally he wanted you to to run with the legend, Jordan. Um I I don't think I don't think we have to worry about Yanis. I think Yanis is I I do think Yanis is here long term no matter what, and I just hope for him that that's not some sort of extended spell in purgatory. I just, yeah, I, I, anything can happen. Let's, I'll go with that. From at Cowboy of Space, why is Yana sitting down the stretch until like 50 seconds left in the game? <laughs> Cowboy of Space, your guess is as good as ours, but it might have something to do with that man with the clipboard. Wow. Um, <laughs> And I'm not talking about Sean Sweeney. <laughs> um, or Josh so, Braghammer. Mr. Hammer. <laughs> From a canine master, do you think our half-court offense looked better today due to better passing or the youth of the Suns' defense? I don't no know matter. if it did look better aside from that spell when Brogdon was there, but I just think the Suns are really bad and... Don't let the Suns being really bad distract you from the fact that the books just managed to be a really bad Suns team. Don't let don't let that sun blind you uh, into the fact that they foul a lot and have a weird confidence swagger for a terrible team. Yeah, very very confident for a terrible team. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Devin. Yeah, that's it for us, though. That's this week. Um, there's some of that I think we will be revisiting, believe it or not. Some of the some of the topics we did this week will get their own extended airings as the season goes on and into the off season. Airings of grievances. Yeah. Um we're not talking about Vasquez. No. Was, he's not even in the league anymore. That's been so crazy. I saw all the bucks at all the bucks. He was listing all the players <laughs> that were on the team last year. They're they're nearly all out of the league. They're not in the league. That's insane. Guys, t- last year sucked. That's what comes down to. It was terrible. Yeah, this year. This year is great, everyone. It's great. Savor it. Drink it in. It's great.
Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us on SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher. Read all of our work, BehindTheBookPass.com. You can follow us on Twitter at BehindTheBooks, and we'll be back next week. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.